Do you prefer your podcast to have solo narrators to two people telling private jokes? Are you looking for a podcast that is about true crimes and unsolved mysteries and not, I repeat, not two friends hanging out and rambling about nonsense? Do you like podcasts that stay on topic 100% of the time? If you answered yes to these questions and reenacted an Unsolved Mysteries podcast, it's not for you or the folks that left us those one-star reviews. We are just two pals who love the 1990s show Unsolved Mysteries and have no interest in actually solving mysteries from the episodes we watch and recap. Come get spooked with me, Robert, and my friend and relatively normal woman, Crystal, every two weeks as we talk stack, ghosts, UFOs, food, and occasionally crime on Reenacted and Unsolved Mysteries podcasts. Welcome to Bill and Rob's An Excellent Adventure. I'm Bill Tilly. And I'm Rob Schulte. Bill, another week, another episode. The podcast is on fire. Have you seen all of the comments? People love it. I love it. I love that everybody loves it. There's just love everywhere, and I'm here for it. Yeah. Uh, as people know, we've recorded a lot of the meat of these episodes in the past. Uh, and we're kind of bookending it with some of our present day thoughts. Bill, it has been a joy every time. And not just the actual recordings, but like the backdoor discussions of like, you know what we should watch? You know, it would be crazy to follow. Like, what if we watched all of the Planet of the Apes films? Uh, that is a series for another year, I think. It is going to be hard to watch all of those movies, but. Everything around the podcast has just been so much fun. It has been. It's just the simple thing, everybody. Rob's and I are really good friends, so we are talking about this stuff all the time when we just decided, you know, we kind of need to share this with the world. So you get the podcast part of it, but we are constantly firing things back and forth about, oh, my God, I found a thing. Look at this thing. We need to talk about this thing. <laughs> if we actually lived, I say, if a lot of times to my fiance, if we lived down the hall from each other, we would constantly be doing the thing like friends and just knocking on each other's door and flying in every 10 minutes going, watch this, do this. Bill, you're a total Phoebe. Oh, uh, thanks, man. <laughs> you're a total Rachel. Yeah, I got the haircut, as we yeah. can see. But nobody's uh, Ross, because Ross sucks. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Could he be any more Ross? Uh, anyway, um, Bill, here's the thing. Uh, one of our friends, not fans, one of our friends wrote in my discord, the Rob's Rob's discord, that he wanted to make sure that we knew that there's actually like good cinema out there. Hmm. And Cursor, I know you're just ribbing me a little bit, but I think good is relative. It's what you walk away from a movie, right? Yes. And that being said, today... We'll talk about it in the meat, but we're watching The Relic, and it may not be a good film. <laughs> it may not be the brightest minds or the brightest lights going into the film, but boy, am I glad I watched it because it made a conversation piece. Oh, 100%. Uh, it's a good experience. It makes for a good podcast. Got to remember, everybody, these things are... Not really that serious. There's lots of people that make their jobs and are living and that's all great. But at the end of the day, it's called entertainment and <laughs> you can either entertain yourself with something that's bad. You can enjoy something that's really good. That's what you need to take away from it. And there's enough bad stuff out in the world, especially if it's sealed up in a weird box that comes from overseas and is put in a museum and not really guarded for some reason. So don't, yeah. don't unleash that on the world, you know, keep it, keep it light. I can watch something bad and still have a huge smile on my face when we're talking about it. And that is like 
the principal feature of this podcast. Oh yeah. It's the shared pain theory. I can, we can sit there and gladly rip something apart and just call it what it is. But every time I'm watching a moment where I look over and I think, oh, Rob, Rob, must talk to Rob about that. Yep. And then my, my giant sheet of manila notepaper where I've just <laughs> written on there, pointed arrows to note Rob's, Rob's. Oh man. Well, I, we've, we're rambling on as we tend to do, but I think it is a good time to just flow right into this museum piece, this, this artifact of film called the relic. Absolutely. We need to shine a light on this movie because the people that made it refuse to do that. <laughs> A very unique mission briefing today. Uh, dark. I have to like turn on a, a light to really read it. Um, yeah, I'm actually filming this in the dark, the pitch dark, and we'll talk about why. I wanted to get into the feel of this movie. Oh, yes. Our method. Yeah. We're, uh, we will not be brandoing. So anyway, no. uh, mission briefing. Come in, if you dare. The opening night gala for a new exhibit at Chicago's Natural History Museum, we'll get to that in a second, is underway. But be advised, something terrifying wants to make sure no one ever leaves. Penelope Ann Miller, Tom Sizemore, Linda Hunt, and James Whitmore. What? Star in this effects-packed shocker that gives haunted house movies a terrific new setting. And the non-human star, brought to head-ripping life by Jurassic Park Oscar winner Stan Winston, is something no creature fan can let slip by. Now, you'll notice in this mission briefing, Bill, that they talk very little about the movie itself. I did notice that. That went, went by in about a sentence. Uh-huh. And then it was like, look at all these things we've got in the movie. Mm-hmm. It's very much a wait, but there's more type of yeah. back of the VHS box on this movie. <laughs> with yeah. Good reason. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I made mention of Chicago, and we'll talk about it in the next segment. We should, before that, talk about the cast. Because let's. there's some significant people in this like tom sizemore the dude is i mean how he was high this whole movie right oh i had to be i mean but look at tom sizemore in this film and if you go back to where he made this film his imdb list is enormous you got to give it yeah. to the guy he is in pretty he was like everything. king of like what 86 to saving private ryan oh very much yeah he really had that kind of you know hard guy thing locked down for a good long while so yeah if you need someone to sweat look angry and wear a tie yeah if if the character synopsis says resembles and has an attitude of a brick then yeah <laughs> tom's your man he's gonna do but this. may sink faster that's yeah yeah, yeah. And especially in this movie because there's a lot of water i also found it interesting he was collecting dirt this whole film like why why are you carrying around all these dirt pocket no way Another Saving Private Ryan. No, yeah, okay. I'm like, wait, did I, am I going to have to watch this movie again? I know he was superstitious, but I missed the dirt picking. No, uh, other cast members, you know, Penelope Ann Miller. Bill, what are, what are your first thoughts when I say the name Penelope Ann Miller? Oh, uh, love. I love Penelope <laughs> Ann Miller. She is one of those actresses. And I got a real kick out of this because in a nice bit of uh, synchronicity, she plays a doctor of Margot Green, and she also played Margot Lane in the Alec Baldwin version of The Shadow from right around this time, which is a movie I Whoa. very much love. Penelope was, a, she's actually, if you look at it, with the way they present the, the, the cast and everything, she's the star of this movie. Yeah. Oh, she yeah. is the first biller on this, and I think she does a really great job. She's just got that great quality that makes you want to watch whatever she's doing on screen, and you buy her in a lot of stuff, so and she gets some... Uh, she gets an interesting turn in this movie. It's like a three-quarter turn towards yeah, the end. That's, we'll get to. It's very yeah, very much of a hard hard left at one point. Now, directed by Peter Hyams, but I I that name did not jump out at me at all. Uh no, it didn't really at me at first. I I hadn't picked up on it, but uh Yeah. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna pull it up real quick. You know what? I'm doing this live. Fuck it. We'll do it live. He's done Time Cop. Oh, oh that's right. Outland. 2010. The year we make contact. Which are three movies I have seen and actually enjoy that I think are on the list of movies that some people don't enjoy. So Okay, here's what? the last one. End of Days. Which brings us back to Valverde. Yep. Yeah. It all comes back to Valverde, Rob. It's always going to come back to Valverde. Mm-hmm. It's just the rules. It's the rules of 2022 podcast. I'm now, just waiting to get back to Valverde. <laughs> I wait every day. It says it on my coffee mug, just waiting to get back to Valverde. Oh, I want that coffee mug. I do too. We'll have it in the merch store. Oh, yes, yes. Would you like that? Uh, let us know. Now, Bill, what do we got next on the docket? Oh, on this docket, we're going to have to go to the Black Ops folder and we're going to do a retina scan and check your credentials, take this into a sealed room that I'm going to lock you into, and then we're going to read some military intelligence on Relic. Bill, I went first last time. I read the mission briefing. I need some... Because I got to say, after watching the movie, I don't feel as intelligent. So maybe some (laughs) intelligence from you would be great. Well, I'll do what I can. Uh, This is the segment where we pick some interesting facts about the production, the backstory, the casting of this movie. And the thing that stuck out to me about this movie, doing a little research, and I'll be honest, a little research is about all I did. Because there's there's not a lot. Not a whole lot out. Not a lot that I could find, but, uh, I'm going to give Peter Himes credit. And now that I've, we've run down his list, you can kind of see his influence in those other movies. Cause, uh, Outland is a movie that's kind of a foreboding movie. It's not a dark movie like this one, literally or figuratively, but yeah. you can sense his, his hand on the tiller. And there's a, a lot of water in this movie. <laughs> Robs, as you go along there towards the end, there's a, there's a segment with some sprinklers and some tunnels. And basically there's a large, I would say what the last 25% of this movie where the entire cast, everybody in this movie soaking wet. It absolutely soaked. Does wet. not look like fun. No. And, uh, Himes apparently has admitted that throughout that entire sequence, the only reason that the sprinklers go off in this building and the water is everywhere is because he thought it looked cool. Yeah. That's so here's a guy. Who subjected his entire cast, extras, main characters, everybody to a wet, miserable filming experience for days, sometimes neck deep in water because he liked the way the spray looked. Yeah, that is amazing because it seems like he could have just like had a career in making like soft jazz music videos. Yeah. It would have yeah. been like in hog heaven the whole time. So say goodbye to those Levi's. Say hello to my sweet thighs. Yeah, like he's the guy you call in to to reboot the flash dance chair scene because clearly yeah. the guy loves some water. But at just the thought of this is practical effects time and to just sit there and tell your whole cast that like this is your shooting day yeah. and to turn on the sprinklers. And in, a, in scenes where nobody in this film is not dressed down at this point, they're all dressed up. So this is suits, dresses, and ties yeah, the whole way. So It's a, a gala picture. Yeah, so I'm going to give it to, to Peter Himes for subjecting the entire cast of this movie to a veritable amount of 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 swamp ass in this one this was that was brutal god just imagine your toes after oh no you you, you're gonna look like the thing in this movie that's there's the relic the relic would be what's left of your skin yeah just when it's and whatever uh luckily we don't record this podcast uh from a bath um no but if that's something you'd like no no i'm gonna go there um now, Bill, do you remember I was uh, staying uh, in a cabin-like cottage for a little while watching a show called My Boys, and I texted you after a couple of whiskey sours, and I was like, I don't know if I trust major media set in Chicago, mm-hmm. and it's not because of Chicago. I think it's because of what I'm about to read, and that's that Paramount wanted and offered the Natural History Museum of New York, like seven figures to film there. Uh, But the administration was worried that a monster movie would scare kids away from the museum. And, you know, the administration doesn't look good in the script and like yada, yada, yada. So Chicago was not a first choice. And I have a feeling 
if Chicago is stated as like, this is taking place in Chicago, it's because Chicago was not your first choice. You have to explicitly be like, it ain't New York. Okay. I wanted New York, but it's not. It's Chicago. Ah, Chicago, the Jan Brady of sets. The true second city. We've discussed this before. Uh, Most major media, for whatever reason, probably because it's the easiest, New York, L.A., But if you can't get either one, when you see Chicago, the one thing I get out of that is I always think we're going to see something more real. Just because a little bit more gritty. Yeah. Because, you know, you're getting out of the film industry. You're moving into the city. Although I researched that part a little bit and I was sad to find out that a large amount of the interior shots are done in L.A. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I bet. But the exterior is nice because I think it's especially in a movie like this where you kind of go in your brain set because you've seen so many of these to see a different venue in a different city that we don't have to see the Capitol records building. And we don't have to see the empire state building. I think it did them a favor in the end. Well, that's true. I think there is no reason they have to say what city it is. And so by saying it's in Chicago, they are adamantly like pointing out that we weren't able to shoot this in New York. You know, very well could be like, I don't ever like any like small Midwestern town. Do I care if it's, you know, Blue Springs, Missouri or, you know, Utica, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, could this be the, could this be the version of the, of Paramount, you know, going to those other two cities and being like, look, I did get a date for the prom. Yeah. So. <laughs> I was really just trying to make you jealous. I'm sorry. Yeah. In your uh, face, non-sentient city dweller. Anyway, Bill, it's time to settle the score. And this is where we talk about the music that comes up in uh, any given movie we watch. Any given Sunday. Now, Bill, I have one note for this, and it's boo. I don't even remember the music. Uh, I'm not far off, Robs. This is going to be a short bit. I actually had two notes. Mine was unremarkable and unmemorable. It's not that the music is bad. It's simply, it's just simply music. It's in the background. There's nothing super special about it. It. I did have one note on it. The fact that this score is done by John Dibney, who later on down the line. It's going to score a little movie called Predators. So we have found our our Val Verde link within the music of this movie. So I got to give it to it. My my foot is in my mouth. I still don't like it. It still didn't speak to me. No, it's very, it's as lost as the visuals in this movie. Everything about this movie is, is muddy and a bit indecipherable. But there's also reasons for that, which we'll get into later. So. Absolutely. Uh, this was not, this is not a score I would run out, get on the CD and jam it into the car and rip up and downtown listening to this for a while till I got out of my system. It was gone the minute the movie was over. I almost forgot. But I will say, part. if someone's rocking the original motion picture soundtrack or music inspired by the film, The Relic, let us know. Please do. Missing. Drop yeah. us a line. I want to know what it is about it that you like. Now that's what I call relic. Oh, God. Anyway. <laughs> what we, I got too many manila folders in front of me, Bill. What do, what do I got to do? I need you to look at that stack and find the one with the, with the banner across it that says, who's going to have them some fun? Ah. Uh. Because this is the part where we talk about what actor stood out to us in some way, somehow, whether they're having fun or enjoying themselves, not enjoying themselves. Somebody leapt off the screen at this movie. If they did, who did you pick Rob Schulte? There's a lot of different avenues. There's a lot of different thinking to the who's going to have them some fun. I think we've uh, hinted at it can even potentially be an inanimate object. I, I'm sure I'll say that every episode. Um, just a vamp and to truly think how I wanted to come to terms with this one. It feels like I have to go with how would I be having fun if I was in this movie? You know, like if I was a character in this film, like doesn't seem like anyone's having fun except for the guy who decides to get stoned. 
And that security guard who goes in there gets stoned. Of course, he's going to be the first victim. He's a drug user. And they have to, it's the 90s. Say no to drugs. Say no to drugs, kids. But honestly, if I'm working the night shift at a fucking natural history museum of some sort, you bet. Like, I mean, who's breaking into a natural history museum? You know what I mean? Small children. Small children are robbed. True. And probably Thomas Crown. Yeah, but, there's that. Uh, yeah, it's too bad that uh, he got his head ripped off just for smoking some, a little doobie on work time. Uh, yeah, I mean, let's 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 pour one out for security guard Fredericks. Uh, that's a good choice, Rob. Yeah, yeah. How about you, Bill? I was surprised. I, I had a couple of options, which made me feel better about the movie. I, at first, I thought, you know, who could it be? And my first initial choice was a was Clayton Roner, the uh, partner of mm-hmm. Tom Sizemore, Detective D'Augusta. And if you, did he look at all familiar to you, Rob? Yes, but I, it was a question to be quite honest, Bill, I wrote down and I wanted to ask you, well, who is this person? He jumped out at me once he finally got into the light because I could tell I'm seeing him before. He played Admiral Mark Jameson on Star Trek, the next generation. Whoa. He is the de-aging Admiral from too short a season. There's nothing to hide now. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. I know a lot of friends at DeSoto listen to this podcast. Send your favorite pics of this moment in TNG and compare it to the relic and let us know. Please do. If you have cosplay of you being Detective Hollingsworth and Admiral Mark Jameson, send us both those pictures. Yes. So he was he was there, but he didn't wind up being my choice. I just had to give him a shout oh. out for his Trek cred. My choice is. Um, I can't remember if I'm saying this right. So here we go. Dr. Zawicki, the coroner, who is an incredible ball buster to Tom Sizemore as she goes through your guy, security guard Fredericks, as she's checking through the corpse and going through there. She is firing off one-liners like nobody's business. She is sassy. She is funny. She's Audra Lindley, right? Audra Lindley and I'm listening to that voice because she's got a hood on the whole time and I'm sitting there and I'm like that voice sounds familiar and my fiance at the, we watched it with me and she's like she does say sounds like somebody's mom or whatever and I'm like oh my god it's Mrs. Roper it's Mrs. <laughs> Roper from Three's Company getting her arms up into the guts of that guy if his name had been Stanley I would have fell out of my chair so what's going on in here she clearly brought they brought her in for one day they gave her a severed head or so and went here's your scene and she ran with it so audra audra lindley you are a true champion as always you get the award from me big team player there love it love it uh but bill you know what else i love i love playback time Mm -hmm. now playback time this is uh you know, the scene we'll go back to what we would want to watch over and over again. I think we've also say that, like, you know, maybe this is what would get someone into the movie. But that I struggled with a little bit on this one. Um, would you like me to go first or would you like to go first? I'm going to give you the floor, Rob. Well, um, it's pretty simple. We've hinted at it the whole time. This movie's very dark, which makes it difficult to watch. I mean, even if you crank the brightness on your TV. Um, so I think I would have to play back the first scenes in like the jungle because it's what you can see the best. And that is, is also kind of fun to watch him freak out after drinking the potion. Potion? Concoction? Soup? Yeah, some kind of very off the wall mojito, I think. This ain't ayahuasca, I'll tell you. No. That. It definitely, it's not a zebra hoof either. So yeah, that scene is, <laughs> that scene is bonkers. It is a bonkers opening to that movie too. It, it comes at you and you're don't, I didn't really know what to make of it other than like, well, this yeah. is different. This is well, and like, what are they building? And I think we'll, we'll get to it. What about yeah. you? What's your playback time? So my playback time, I didn't have a lot of these either, but it, when it came at me, it came hard and it's the scene when well over an hour and 20 some minutes into this movie when we finally see the creature made from the relic they send in a team of special ops guys who rappel down into the museum through the skylights and it goes bad it goes very bad 
And at one point they call a retreat and one of the repellers is coming back up the rope, doing his, doing his squirrel scramble screaming. And he gets to the window and his buddy's got him and he goes limp. And when he hauls him over the railing, he hauls over half of his friend. He's been cleaved in half by the monster. (laughs) And as he flops down on the ground, the buddy who pulled him over, they do a quick pan back and he does a full on Wolverine Klingon death scream to the heavens. That is pure genius. <laughs> he literally just screams and throws his head back and his arms back in a wail that I'm like, Oh, I want a friend like that. That's I want good. A friend like that. I want Bill, I would do that. Feel. I would do that. I would do that for you too, Rob. After I carried you up to the bridge for some reason. Yes. After you hadn't left your post, I'm so I would sorry. scream like, so that is the moment we had to, re- we had to rewind it like four times. And I'm like, this is amazing. I, I kind of want the movie to just end right here. Now, uh, that's great. And it's a great transition into time to bleed, which is like our favorite, uh, gratuitously violent moment. And I loved that one. That is probably it for me. But I will say, Bill, correct me if I'm wrong. Did everyone die off screen? Not everyone died off screen. Almost everyone died. Almost everyone dies off screen. Towards the end, there's a couple of deaths that you don't see, but you do see the one guard who the creature pops its head off of. Oh, do you see it actually get pulled off and over? You do. Yo, yes, 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 yes. Because there's the silhouette. (laughs) Yes, that's the one they spent money on. Yeah, for sure, for sure. What's your time to bleed? Well, it all comes back to the guy you mentioned earlier. It's security guard Fredericks. Really? Sitting in the bathroom at at the museum, having himself a smoke, a little marijuana cigarette. And the creature reaches under the stall, grabs him by the leg, pulls him down on the floor, and whips him across out of frame under there. And it's not the scene later where we see what the creature did to him or the blood everywhere in there in the bathroom. To me, my first thought was, my God, the thought of being yanked down on a public restroom floor for any now. And exactly. And being pulled across it to where every your skin could be exposed, touching it. I would have been so happy to see that disastrous, awful creature staring me in the face. The sweet release of death would have been what I wanted at that point. I can't think of any more horrifying way to die than on laying on a a men's public bathroom floor. Please never, just never, never. I'll tell you what's a a worse way to die is if you actually die like six hours later. Oh God. Like soaking in the pee the whole time. Oh, and you have time to think about it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't, uh, well, what if they say sometimes if you're beheaded, your head keeps going. Do you think he saw that and had time to process oh, no that poor man. i hope not oh please no i'm praying uh, please yeah. no so yeah I'm not <laughs> a fan of that well bill it's time to debrief on this entire film here's what i'll say for my final thoughts and that is it's based off of a book and apparently the book is good i don't know what it takes to make a good movie based on a book I don't know why so often it usually falls short and and not just because books explain things differently, but just because of like effort and things like maybe over promising. The movie's dark and you've got a giant monster like we get it. The budget was cut at some point and but it's too dark. It's like that feels like it shouldn't be the only thing that makes this movie uh, not my favorite, but it is such a huge part of like I can watch some terrible movies and have a great time but i need to be able to at least see them i don't want to squint at my screen and like this didn't have the best script the the relic thing did look awesome uh but it was slow and it was hard to keep up with especially when it got super dark and i watched it at night so that didn't make it any easier Mm. um I'm glad I saw it, though. I think it is a relic of its time, but probably want to watch Terminator 2 any other day of the week. <laughs> How about you, Bill? Well, I have some of the same feel. I looked into that. Uh, you know, Peter Himes likes light and shadow. He shot this movie darkly, and apparently the story is 
if you saw it in the theater, it was easier to make out, but Mm -hmm. it got a bad transfer back in the day. So all your VHS and DVDs, the ones we saw are very bad. Apparently it's been remastered once since then where it looks a little better, but they will tell you it's still dark. It's still very dark. I, for a lot of the time I was watching the movie and I'm like, did the TV go off? Did what happened? (laughs) There's nothing going on and it really does affect it. It's, it's far too dark for far too long. And it really hit me when they're walking into the museum on the red carpet and you can't see them. No, it's a red carpet event. And there's literally like a little red line on the ground with little ants marching along. I'm like, I don't get this movie. This movie's weird, but yeah, it's, it's the thing about doing books to film. I think one of the main things that we always say, like the book has so much more to explain, but I think also books let you live with characters longer. You can a little more invested in them and movies have to shorten that down. And I, I, if you can do a decent job of that, I mean, you can get a decent movie out of it. Penelope Ann Miller does what she can with her part. She's plus sure. her foil in the movie, the the professor who's trying to steal her grant. He's fun to watch. He's clearly making it. Yeah. The side characters do what they can. Uh, Detective Hollingsworth, the partner, he got to be a little gee whiz on me about that <laughs> as he's just kind of like everything. He's going like, you got it, boss. And that's his <laughs> things. And you're kind of waiting for him to die. And, Sure. It's a little one dimensional. And it's also very weird that, uh, at the end of the movie and the movies in the nineties where the male in there's not really the lead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's not the hero. Maybe that's why it's Tom Sizemore. Yeah. Uh, it Penelope takes that banner and runs with it for the last 20 minutes of the movie. And I think that's because I read that at the original ending of this movie, uh, the creature just burns up. She burns up. She throws some stuff on him and it burns up and the audience was like, nah, didn't really care. So they added that whole sequence at the end where she runs through the museum and the thing chases her on fire and got everybody stirred up in the kiln or whatever it is. Yeah. And then they were on board. So it just, the movie does things like jaws and where it it delays the monster. It makes you wait, but there are other movies that do it better than this movie. Yeah. That's kind of the thing. And, and so it's not a movie I'm going to revisit anytime soon. I'm also glad I watched it. I'm glad I watch most movies because yeah. movies are a fun experience. It's not that it's bad. It's just not much, but I will give it credit for this. I looked back, uh, opening for this movie. Number one. Hell yeah. It was up against some, some competition there. So that's interesting. Yeah. And people like monster movies though, you know, it, and a monster movie is a good date movie too. It is. This one's just, it's a little slow. It's a little plotting. It's more or less, it's kind of funny, but for the wrong reasons. When James Whitmore's character dies, he's a professor who's in a wheelchair. He can't. <laughs> he just, he dies for no reason. Yeah. There's some weird things where they kind of, they're in the museum and he's like, leave me, be- they'll leave me behind. We got him for four days. Let's do this. Yeah. He's like, you got to get back to the office and you can't wait for me. So they leave him, but the office is apparently 10 feet away. Cause that's how far they travel. So he dies for not a real good reason in this movie. He's just kind of, I would have been love it if suddenly the wheelchair just sprung out some guns and yeah. <laughs> ties a bandana around his head. But you know, that's almost what you have to do to, to you have to naked gun this movie to, yeah. to get it to be anything like that. So I would say if uh, the truth is, if you're going to watch a monster movie, you're going to pick a better one than this, particularly because the monsters hidden for so long it, yeah and it's it, not a great monster but it also it's not like jaws where you know the ocean's scary the big ocean yeah. is scary Musical i do scary. like that the, it's an interesting twist it's a little bit of a mystery through the thing it's not a, a huge twist but like yeah. they did a good job of telling that story um but bill at the end of the day we must rate this film yes we must it's in our bylaws that when we started this yeah that we have to come up with a rating system that we call late fees. I pick something from this movie on a one to five scale, each one specific to this movie. And we determine how many of these things we would give up in order to save our VHS copy of the relic for one more day past the day we've rented it so we can watch it again. Or would we do this? What would we give up? So this movie had a few things in it that interested me. One of them was the actual relic, which turns out not a factor in this movie. Nope. We watched the relic, the stone relic being assembled as the movie goes along as a tension builder. And we're like, what's going to happen when this thing comes together? Turns out nothing. That lady went home. She went home. She's the best person in that movie. She literally did her job, clocked out. Good for her. Went home, said, I'm out of the gala. Missed it all. 
But that's not what I picked. I picked something that has to do with the mayor in this movie who gives a big speech at one point to Tom Sizemore, a detective, telling him he will make sure the gala opens. Things will happen. He's a great character. Oh, yeah. It's a fun speech. Uh, but he mentions at one point if Tom Sizemore has ever seen his wife's cleavage. What an uncomfortably sexist line. There's a real 90s sentence yep. to throw out there. Real for 90s. That's not what we're there for. We're there for the real life. But that's my scale. Well, I love that the quality of the rating system matches the quality of the movie. I thought so. I and thought I it was. Think I'm going to have to rate it the amount of times uh, it appears in the movie. And that would be one. Oh, this is a one for me. And I, it's hard to get a one from. Ooh. This was a difficult watch. How about you? I call it a call it a daily double, Rob. I'm wow. Right I'm right there with you. I would I might give up one. It's not something exactly. <laughs> it's just it's just not a great movie. It's not one that captures me. It didn't thrill me. It's it's a one and done kind of experience. So well, you hear that, everyone? The relic from 1997, one and done. <laughs> And I got a new soundboard, so I'm going to play with it. Life is good. Life is good. <laughs> Bill, but there is one more thing we always have to do on this podcast. Our final segment is Going Dutch. And that's where you and I answer a question from the listeners. If you've paid attention to the socials, you've seen that you can submit questions. If you're part of my Discord, you can see that you can submit questions. If you're part of the greatest gen Discord, drunkshimoto.com, you can ask questions. Now, but, you know, you just reach out to Bill and I. We're on socials. You can just ask us directly. We're Bill, everywhere. Today's question comes from Bobby and Burbank. Hello, Bobby and Burbank. You're on the air. And, yeah. ooh, this actually comes in with something I said earlier at the beginning of this episode. It's almost like I made these notes myself. Um, I didn't. I can attest to that, everyone. I, I made my notes myself, but I didn't ask this question. No, uh, there's no plants here. Only predators. <laughs> what constitutes an on-the-bubble predator move? Bill, I'd love for you to take this one. I would say it just has to have an element that the Predator movies are famous for. And this one, I would say, is the stalking beast yep. that stalks it. It chases them. There's a party of people there, and it pursues them just like it does Schwarzenegger and Danny Glover and everyone else. So it is a stalking type of movie with a big, scary creature. And it is a scary creature, honestly. Yeah. It's a creature that done today, I think, would be something to behold. And Stan Winston, Jurassic Park fame, Predator yeah. He, he did the Predator, so he brought that style to this movie. So there are very Predator-adjacent things, but overall, if you can look at the film and see some element of Predator in it, person against overwhelming force, jungle movie with weird alien, that's pretty much all you have to do, and that's why it keeps it uh, nice and easy for Rob and I to pick things like this. But it's not straying so far that you wouldn't recognize what we're trying to do. Yeah, we're not going to watch Police Academy next week. No, not next week. No, week after maybe. No, but after. Um, if you want us to watch Police Academy, let us know. But that's not the plan. Okay. That doesn't fall on the bubble of Predator. Okay. No. So talk to us after Predator season. Now, Bill, we have to do our calls to action. Bill, the relic. What can I say? My eyes are coming back into focus. I'm still picking exploded bits of museum out of my hair after the end of this movie. I don't even know. The, it's all flooding back to me, the emotions of watching this movie. It's, it was really an interesting suggestion, Rob. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I think I dreamed a little too big on this one. I wanted it to be more than it was. Tom Sizemore, come on, man. But. Here's the thing, Bill. This was the era of magic eye posters. You know, like maybe they were like, if you squint, if you're blurry, you're going to see more than what is actually there. And uh, 
they might have failed on that. Yeah, a little bit. But, you know, this was the 90s. This was a time of darkness and cinema <laughs> when things were just getting extreme. And this movie is a product of its time. You hear that phrase a lot. And I don't think that phrase is necessarily a bad thing because we're everything's a product of its time. Yeah. You don't want to hold it against it. And this movie, for all its faults, it falls squarely into that kind of filmmaking. And actually, you know, it tries in a lot of ways to be better than the source material. It just doesn't quite get there. You know what's interesting? You say that, and I'm right there with you because I recently rewatched Rat Race, you know, the John Lovett, Seth Green, Breckenmeyer, Amy Smart, uh, Mr. Bean. Uh, what's Mr. Bean's name? Rowan Atkins. Rowan Atkins, yeah. Uh, and I remember seeing that movie in 2001, July of 2001, which is actually very crucial to a plot point in that movie, uh, which anyone who goes back and watches it will understand what I'm talking about. Uh, all the airlines get shut down. Now, it is such a product of like 2000 cinema. And I remember thinking at the time, this is a timeless comedy. <laughs> you know, it, nothing about this will be dated or of its time. And honestly, most of like the Rowan Atkins, um, John Lovitz, like these people who are just been in comedy their whole life are hilarious moments of the movie. But then you get like Smash Mouth at one point. You get Seth Green's weird fedora. You get tongue-piercing jokes. You get things that are like, wouldn't this slapstick joke be hilarious forever? No, it just didn't. It just, I was like, wow, I remember like, like bowling over laughing in the theater at something that I looked at now. It was just like, no, not at all. It's a, it's the thing about your memory and nostalgia and the, product of its time it's yeah if it made you happy back then odds are you can look at it again and yeah it'll look dated and everything but you still get a smile on your face when you watch it and of course True. there's lots of things over the years that are not great and for a lot of reasons some are demeaning and demoralizing and not a good look in a lot of ways they weren't really a good look back then but if you Put it in its context, judge it for what it is at that exact moment in time. I think that's the way to go. That's what we try to do with this. And I am so guilty of that, Rob. Uh, recently, my fiance and I started opening our Saturday mornings by watching an old episode of the Super Friends cartoon. And if you've ever <laughs> woke up on a Saturday morning and watched one of those, these things were the best thing I'd ever seen in my life when I was six years old. When you watch one when you're almost 50, you're like, still laughing my butt off just for different reasons. So. Yeah. Like, why... Is the costume two different colors at this particular second of yeah. the episode? Why does everyone on Earth have the Super Friends phone number on a video phone and can call them at any moment? I don't have one of those. Where's mine at? It's convenient, Bill. It is. Um, and you know what else is convenient? The way our friends, not our fans, our friends leave us messages. Now, if you'd like to contact us, obviously you can find all of the information in the show notes here. There's ways to support the show. There's ways to see us on YouTube or Instagram or all of those ways that we like to push out the show. But also, you will be able to decipher a way to get in touch with Bill and I to ask us a question like today's person did. Bill. I'm going to read another question. Are you cool with that? Hey, here's the other thing. If people are in the Discord, they can drop audio messages that we can play on future episodes. That, you know, give it some time, folks, but we will answer them 100%. Like the idea of that. Now, Bill. Props. Today's message comes from David in Florida. Hello, David. Hello, David. Now, David has a quick, maybe tough, depending on how you're looking at it, question. But I think that we'll be able to find some wiggle room in this. This podcast, now this is my preamble to the question. This podcast, as people have heard in episode one and in the trailer, originally started as a revitalization of Pumpkin Spice podcast, my old horror-themed podcast. Yes. The question here is, Bill and Robs, I know you're doing an excellent adventure, but I need to know what your favorite horror film is. 
Wow. This is tough. This is tough. And also, I am of the opinion. Th- first of all, thank you, David. Thank but you, David. I am of the opinion that your favorite movie can change day to day, right? Yes. Whatever genre it is. If I am in this mood today, I might say Saving Private Ryan. I would probably never say that, but it, it could be a thing I say tomorrow. I don't know. Um, I need to think on this a moment. I need to chew on it. I could have read the question ahead of time and been prepared, but that would make a less interesting discussion with you, Bill. Bill, do you have an area of horror that you would like to go to for this? So one of the things about coming on board to originally do this as pumpkin spice was I don't have a huge backlog of horror movies. It's not a genre that I ever gravitated towards. I saw a lot from time to time. It's just one of those things. Watched a lot of movies. So I'm going to approach this as what horror movie do I think about the most often that I would like it happy to go back and watch again. And the one that springs to mind for me is a movie called ghost ship. Oh my God. Yeah. I've actually never seen all of ghost ship. Yeah. I hear amazing. Yeah. I saw it one day. I have a, I have a real soft spot for ships, ship movies, you know, naval battles, all that kind of stuff, especially derelict ships or, you know, one ship against the fleet kind of thing. I just like all of that, but that movie came on and it caught my attention and I wound up watching it and quite frankly, really like it. It's scary. It's fun. Uh, it's got Juliana Margulies from ER in it, which is kind of neat. Uh, it's got a lot of cool ghost ship imagery and derelict, creepy stuff going on. And it's kind of a throwback movie, I think. The Haunted House movie, but just on an ocean liner. And yeah. I will watch it pretty much anytime I get the chance to watch it. So I am going with that. So what about you, Rob? I'm going to take a chance here and and i hope that i am my answer is okay because i do love you know the nightmare on elm street films i love friday the 13th but like sure if you like horror you're gonna like those movies they kind of like set the standard for everything coming after it in the slasher verse but if i were to like say something i really love because it is weird and will probably pop up one day on this podcast itself, I'd have to go with Pen from 1988. And I've told you about this movie, right? Have I? I don't think so, Rob. This is new information for me. Okay, so let me just set the stage for you. It is based off of a book, and it is... Who's who's in this film? Let me see here. Um, Terry O'Quinn. That's the biggest name in it, right? Oh. So here is what uh, IMDb says is is this, the the, the little blurb, right? Mm -hmm. Isolated by his strange parents, Leon finds... Oh, sorry. Isolated by his strange parents, Leon finds solace in an imaginary friend, which happens to be an anatomy doll from his father's doctor's office. Unfortunately, the doll begins to take over Leon's life and his sister's life as well. It is so out of touch with reality as it is converted from like, I think, 60s or 70s novel into 80s film that like you can tell they're trying to be ride the horror wave a bit. And we did cover it on Magical at the Movies. I think you and I would have a slightly different conversation about the film. But I love it. I I think if I were to go maybe a little bit less weird as a discussion, I think Return of the Living Dead is great. I think, you know, They Live is always good. And if you're absolutely. Yeah. You know, or if you want to go a little bit more on the horror comedy side, have you ever seen House? House is great. I've only seen part of House, but it's in that wheelhouse of movies (laughs) that would roll across the uh, satellite dish every now and then. So yeah, uh, would see that thing. And I'm right there with you. Like it can't, it does change from day to day because I love Bruce Campbell. So give me some evil dead. Yep. I will watch that when it comes to Friday, the 13th movies, give me Jason goes to space. I, Oh yeah. Oh freaking yeah. Hilarious. I love that version. Jason X is so amazing. When they go to the, the, 
like goes into the holodeck and like takes the kids by the sleeping bag and just is banging them against the tree. It's, it's just like, yeah, I, I get it. It's at the point in the, in the series where you're kind of rooting for Jason. Let's just, yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, all the things they've done to that guy, geez, send him into space, freeze him, drown him. He's just let him win once. He, yeah. He's got a machete to grind. <laughs> well, Bill, another great episode. Thank you, David, for the question. If you've got questions, check the show notes, slide into the DMS, come ask Bill and I directly leave a five-star review with your question. We'll read it. It's all gravy to us. And Bill, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say thanks to Jonathan Cachero for doing our show art, Dr. Z and Draxium for doing our theme song. That theme song kicks ass. The band camp that you can support them in is in the show notes as well. It's all great. Support a local musician. Support an independent artist. That's what we're trying to do here. Hey, if you've got it in you, support us. We got those links in the show notes as well. Yeah. Really helps us in the end. Rob and I have a great time doing this. We do it for fun. We can do even more and do it even better with support from you. It keeps us going and it's easy to do because we don't do subscriptions. We don't make you do a long-term PayPal. This is not BMG. We don't send you something you want and force you to pay to mail it back to us. If you like what you see, drop a dollar on that episode one time and you're good to go. Helps us a ton. And please. Do as Rob says, support the artists, support the things you like, support independence and share, share, share it all. Tell all your friends every time you get a chance, because that's what gets the word out. And that's what really makes things happen. And I will say, Bill, we don't control the tech. If at any point they say it needs to move to a subscription, we'll find a different way or we will find options for you that if you really want to support, but you don't want to be tied to something, I'm right there with Bill. We're going to find a way to make it work for you because we do. We want to have fun here and that's all it's about. But the more support, the more fun we can have, the more episodes that get to come out. And it's really is our end goal. This is what we want to do. And we love doing it. We so do. even if you can't monetarily support, we ask that you tell two friends. That right there will go a long way towards getting us down the road to becoming the monumental review empire that Rob and I hope to become someday. Well, Bill, it's another classic episode of Bill and Rob's An Excellent Adventure. Here's one thing. We don't have a sign-off. We kind of keep spinning the wheels on it. I want to suggest to our audience that maybe they start throwing in some sign-offs. And maybe one will stick, or maybe we change it each episode. I, I think that could be fun. I think it fits into the entire theme of what we're doing here. So, yep. If anybody wants to drop a uh, call sign off for us anywhere out on the socials or in the discord or anywhere you can find us, which ain't hard. Like Rob <laughs> said, we're everywhere. Do it. We will take a look at it. And just like your movie suggestions, TV suggestions, anything suggestions, we'll take it to heart. Absolutely. Well, Bill, we'll see everyone next time on another episode of Bill and Rob's An Excellent Adventure.